This episode of the Marshall Focus podcast is sponsored by Spirit and Soul Co. Close your eyes, breathe, relax, take a moment for you. Okay, perfect. Right, guys, so let's uh, let's kick off, and we are joined today by Ferdos Nayami, uh, who's currently in in Pittsburgh at the moment, and you were put, we we, we were linked up by our mutual friend, Philip Ramirez Jr. Yes, sir. And he, he, yeah, yeah, my man too, he spoke to me before and said, you have to speak to this guy, he has an amazing story, you have to speak to this guy. so I was so chuffed when I, I sort of reached out to you and, and you agreed to come on. So first thing I'll say is thank you uh, and ask how you're doing. How, how's things? Uh, thank you for having me, first of all. I really appreciate to uh, be here. I've uh, heard about your podcast a little bit, uh, watching a few other guys. And then one of my close friends, too, like Cody Law. Yep. So it was, it was awesome to hear his story a little bit because, uh, you know, sometimes hears hear people's deep side of the story unless you like listen to some podcasts or whatever and you get to know a little more about them i'm doing well this is my uh, four and a half months since i moved out mm-hmm. to pennsylvania still getting used to this place uh, i'm loving it i'm loving i'm loving the process just to restart uh in my opinion my life restart my life and then um to finally do what i love to do i finally finally found and accepted that it's part of my identity like fighting being like this warrior lifestyle through my whole life it's been just like constantly fighting fighting battling battling and uh, it was it was tough to accept this because back when Canada I used to uh, I was a plumber back in the union mm-hmm. uh, I was a fifth year apprentice so I was like one year away from writing my license so I was making good coins yeah. uh, uh, I'm a, I was a very pro-union person. Uh, my union helped me out a lot through uh, my even my fighting career. Yeah, they used to sponsor me. They sponsored me roughly uh, for my every fight that I fought was around five thousand dollars, which was pretty a lot of coins yeah. uh, for me to uh, get help from them. So it's it's been it's been interesting. It's been an interesting journey. Uh, a lot of uh, ups and downs. Yep. And uh, these two uh, fight camps, Ben, I just uh, had a recently a broken hand. I've been dealing with some injuries, but uh, yep. the, the journey is what makes it fun. The journey is what makes it fun. But, you know, you, you said something there about people's people's backstory, because what I've found through doing the podcast is that, okay, it's based around martial arts and fighting, but, and I think your story might be the most amazing story yet, possibly, <laughs> But it's people's backstories that that make things so interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you always find that people that are involved in martial arts or professional fighters uh, generally come from a place of hardship or they come from a, a previous struggles in life that, that have made them who they are. And I think I think you must be in that category. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just uh, look at... Uh look at the look look what i've been through like god's plan and uh it's just a unique story uh, sometimes it takes a while for me to sit down and to realize where i come from 
and to understand that from where I come from in life right now or any time, I already won. In like it's 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 been it's been it's like from where I come from, it's like a dog eat dog world. Mm-hmm. It's tough. The situation, the best way to explain the situation right now back home in Afghanistan, it's like a bunch of crabs in a bucket, and if a if a if a crab if one of the crabs escapes the bucket, the other crab pulls them down. No one leaves the bucket. Yeah. So it's like it's it's been a it's it's been tough. It's been tough. Uh, basically, for how I grew up, I come from a, a family of uh, my dad. My dad's father, my grandfather, that recently uh, that passed away a long time ago, back in two thousand nine. Was it? Uh, he had five wives. So he had five wives, and then my dad was the first son in the whole family. And then uh, I have a lot of grand, uh, I have a lot of uh, uncles and aunts back home. So my dad's family was uh, originally born. Uh, they were from Kabul, but then they somehow ended up uh, on the west side of Afghanistan, a country that's called Herat, mm-hmm. and they're neighbors with Iran. Okay. And now. Herat is the only province in Afghanistan that speaks a little different. For example, the whole Afghanistan speaks American English, yep, and yep. Herat is the only state that speaks UK. Okay. If I would explain that to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because because there's some sort of relationship and history in between Iran being their neighbors so close that there's been a. I'm not good with history, but that's the best way to explain it. And then. Um, my dad's family was into rug uh, carpentry. Like they used to sell rugs. Mm-hmm. They used to go to Iran and bring them over. And then uh, my dad was, uh, they're, they're pretty wealthy because his dad would work hard and they would, they were just old school people. They work hard. And then in 1996, I was born in, in uh, Herat with my mom. My mom moved down from Kabul to my dad's family. Yep. And in 1996, I was born. Three years after I was born, uh, Someone approached my dad in the market that he could, uh, if he gives him some, uh, if he gives him certain amount of money, he could illegally uh, escape him and yeah. get him to uh, Russia. And uh, my dad, my dad uh, gambled this. He took a big risk, and to this day, uh, if I would put, if I would, if I was in my old man's shoe, I wouldn't have the, excuse my language, the balls to make this yeah. move. So he finally sold his uh, house. We sold our property. Uh, I was a little kid, but he was just telling me this all from uh, from one day when we were chit-chatting. He yeah. sold his house. Uh, he sold his business and then left his belongings back home, uh, left some properties and then made money, told his parents that he was leaving. And then no one uh, really uh, su- was supportive at that time with the idea they're so family oriented so it was hard for his family to see him leave yep. and then uh we finally decided to move in 1999 because it's a taliban that's when the taliban started taking over yeah and then uh, my dad's store prior to a couple of days before we leave it was a family store it was a pretty big supermarket he got uh uh he got attacked by the taliban so they stole all the money clothes belongings and everything that and my dad was heartbroken and then he then well, decided to leave. So when we escaped Afghanistan, uh, since we we're on the west side, we couldn't get through Afghanistan because there was all the Taliban. So we had to escape to Iran. Mm-hmm. We were in Iran for about three days. From Iran, we went to Pakistan. From yep. Pakistan, we went to India. From India, we went to Tajikistan. From Tajikistan, we went to uh, 
Kazakhstan. From Kazakhstan, we went to Russia. So we're on sixteen days road trip. Yep, yep. Uh, illegally passing through every country. Um, I remember my mom telling me a story. Uh, as you know, we're um, I, I'm a, I'm Muslim. My family eats a uh, halal food and stuff. And okay. uh, she was telling me when she was uh, in uh, Tajikistan, they were traveling, and then the uh, the person that was taking them through with a bunch of other families. Uh, they stopped over at a house somewhere by the forest or whatever, and they had the soup. They ate soup. And then my mom was so hungry that she licked, she drank the soup and licked it to the bone. Yeah. And, yep. and then the, the, the person that was taking him over illegally said, how's the soup? And my mom said, oh, it was delicious. And then he's like, oh, that was horse meat. And my mom just yapped it all out. Because <laughs> she was just shocked. Because, right, we're in, we're in Afghanistan, right? It's all like halal food. So, Yep. She just started feeling uh, worser, and she was pregnant at that time with my little uh, sister, uh, little, little brother. And then, uh, so we finally illegally, our last trip was get into a train illegally. And back in the days in Russia, the trains, bottom seats, they, they fold up, you put your luggage, and then you close your luggage. So yep. my mom, me and my mom were in one of the uh, luggages sleeping under people, and people were sitting on top of us. Yep. And my dad and my little sister, Ours, though, she was in the other baggage. We're sleeping inside the uh, luggage, like where the people put luggage. So we're closed with the tarped off for about like 16 to maybe 24 hours. And then we finally got to Russia. My uh, mother's, my grandfather um, from my mother's side was there. They, they, they somehow made their way there. Yep. And then uh, life started out in Russia. And uh, I went to school there. I went to, I uh, grew up there. And uh, a lot of things happen. A lot of yeah. things happens to uh, a lot of things happened in the communist era when I lived. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's where I started martial arts. And then uh, the way reason how I started martial arts is my uncle back in Afghanistan was a national uh, champion in uh, boxing. Mm-hmm. And my mom was a very big supporter. And then when I lived in uh, Russia, sorry, when I lived in Russia for five years, uh, my dad worked in a bazaar. He, yep. uh, he, my dad worked in a bazaar, and every season, uh, in a year, there would be four seasons, right? Winter, summer, yep, yep. and all the other seasons. So every season in a bazaar, you had to change your uh, what you were selling. So when when it was the rainy times, my dad used to sell umbrellas. Summertime, he used to sell backpacks and the wallets and stuff. Winter time, he would sell socks. And like it was, it was crazy. And he worked in this bazaar. It was like. Uh, the size of, if I would try to explain it, it's like the size of a, like a Manchester United stadium, yeah, like yeah, a bazaar sure. like that, huge, yeah, yeah. like just like dirty with tarps. It's like barely hanging. I've seen like any, so many multicultural people. I've seen as a kid, a Chinese person speak Russian to me. That was crazy. I've seen some African-American men speak Russian to me. That was like, nuts because where the hell do you find someone like that in russia yep, yep. right i've seen like i've seen a lot of like i've been through adversity and seen a lot of different people that like when i look at them i'm like what's my excuse these guys are just hustling right yep. and then uh, we finally lived in russia for about five years and then the bizarre business collapsed it was 2000 i forgot what i think it was 2005 the bizarre collapsed and then we're being it was very hard to live in russia like even for us to go to like a grocery store, yeah. my mom would always have to take me with her because if if you had a child with you as a woman, the police had no right to stop you. But okay. if you're by yourself and you're an immigrant, 
they would stop you and they would yeah. grab you for money before they would leave you. If not, one day I remember that my dad didn't agree to pay them. They took us to uh, somewhere to a forest. They beat him up in front of me and they just let us out. Then we had to find our way home. Yeah. So it was it was pretty brutal. And then my we had some relatives in a in a country called Belarus. It's okay. right beside uh, uh, Russia. And my dad had enough in uh, Russia, Moscow. That's mm -hmm. where he stayed in the city. And then he said, you know what? Let's give Belarus a try. And at that time, I finally, I was like, uh, I was, uh, I was like nine, 10 years old. And I was finally like, came into a realization. Like I was conscious of life and stuff. I'm like, damn, we have to restart again. Like we just came from Afghanistan. Like I made friends here. I made, I went to school. And then finally we went to Belarus. And then uh, we uh, are, are my aunt, my aunt and my uncle from my mom's side lived there. Yeah. We migrated there. And then uh, we lived there. I went to school. So I started back again. Thankfully, Belarus was more relaxed, was more calmer. People yeah. weren't harassed you much. It was just different vibes. Very interesting to me to have a little freedom compared to Russia. Yes. It was very like you could feel the, feel the freedom. And then we moved to an area. And then uh, we moved to an area. And then one day when I lived in the area, I see a bunch of uh, guys running on the street with like little booty shorts you call like tie shorts right <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. jacked people so and then i seen a bunch of group and then uh, just running down the street and then i loved it i just loved the vibes just loved being around people because i was just all, all, always this uh immigrant kid that by himself very unconfident back back when i was a little kid i used to have a sweet tooth little chubby kid very unconfident I had to be the oldest of the family. I would always be the translator, helping, buying grocery. But I was very unconfident in myself. And uh, yeah. and then uh, the sport kind of taught me a lot. But uh, fast forward to finally, I finally one day followed these kids to the to where they're going. And I seen they uh, they had they went down to this building and then they went downstairs to this basement. And I said, "All right, I got the spot. I'm gonna come here with my dad." Yeah. And then I finally convinced my dad to come with me. So one day we went over, we went down this tunnel and I was so excited. I'm like, oh, like, damn, like I'm about to like train. As soon as I went down this tunnel and then you open the gym and it's the stinky smell. It's like You're you feel the humidity, yeah. right? <laughs> Your humidity. And then guys, I was new to Thai culture and all you hear guys, ah, ah, why? Like making this crazy noise. You're like, what the hell is this? And then I seen this gentleman over there who was one of the coaches and um, he kind of came over. We talked. Uh, well, I was my first coach. His name was uh, Yevgeny Dabrowski. He was the uh, Belarusian national uh, coach uh, for uh, Muay Thai. Mm -hmm. He was a uh, several um, world champion himself. And then he produced a lot of uh, talent in Belarus. And uh, his name ring bells all over the world. Even when I came to Canada, to America, people knew him before I even tried to explain it to him, yep, yep. explain to them who the who he was. And uh, when my dad started talking to him, we slowly came to a realization that found that he was one of the Russians that went to fight in Afghanistan back in the thing. So he was, he had a little history in Afghanistan, which is yep. a little miracle to us. It's like, damn, like, Finally, someone could not relate to us, but kind of can understand wh where we come from. Yep, yep. And then um, he finally signed me up. Uh, I came in and then uh, my first date in the gym, my dad, I can't you not, bought me those uh, 
these gloves. You know, sometimes when you buy like a Christmas gift, like a, a small bag and these the cheap ass gloves, yeah, they're yeah, not yeah. even gloves, <laughs> like freaking. So I just yeah. went with some like cheap ass gloves yeah. first day of training. And then uh, I can never forget this day. Uh, this this world champion to this day, uh, in my opinion, one of the best foreigners uh, that fought in Thailand and, and still fights to this day. And one of the Muay Thai pioneers in this world. His name is Andre Kulevin. Yep, he yep. fought Liam Harrison. He fought a lot of good uh, American yep. fighters. Mikey, um, Michael Dix, one of the other, I remember his fights. And uh, he looked at me, he laughed. He said, man, you need to get some new gloves. This is not even real gloves. And I was not, I kid not, I got so embarrassed because I'm just a little less unconfident yep. kid in the gym. And I just like got crushed deep inside. Uh, and I just like felt that like, ah, like, because this guy was like a mega superstar. He was the golden boy in the gym back then. So everybody started laughing. And I just like, I just like died deep inside. And I went over to my dad next day. I said, dad, like, you got to buy me gloves, man. Like these guys were making fun of me and this and that. And, and thank God to my dad to this day. He, uh, he, uh, he was, he worked hard. He worked hard. And then he just went over, he bought this pair of gloves for me. And finally I went over I trained and after a while uh, in there, like not like it's not like in North America, you come to your coach here, like you see a lot of fighters come to your coach, I want to fight. There where you had to earn it. Yeah, so yeah. over over a period of time, I started training, training, training. And uh, every time when I was a kid, I used to love to come to the gym and just sit down and watch and surround myself around these older guys because I just I, I was always learning, maybe not learning uh, uh, something technical, but maybe learning how to be more mature, how to be more disciplined. And I used to like love getting energy from Andre Kuleban, Dimitri Valent, Andre Kotzer, like a bunch of these multi-time world champion. And then they used to go over the world, uh, overseas. I used to watch them on TVs, pay-per-views, and I used to always get inspired by them. And I would, uh, uh, if you would ask me back in the days, if I thought I would be where I am, I would, I, 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 I would say you're lying. Like I, would, I was like, I would never believe that I would, achieve such a uh, big dream to this day like I would sit down sometimes in the gym and I would wish to be Andre's brother I would yeah. imagine I would picture that if I was his brother how would he would treat me it was it was it was crazy I was just going through some of these because I've never had an older brother I never had a lot of mentors I, learned, I never had a lot of people that I could look up to and be like I always had people around me that been through some rough times some bad times or bad examples that I always look up to not look up to but i've seen that i never wanted to be like them and I always wanted to be better you 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 would have uh, had that drive but surely look from as i said at the beginning of the, the podcast you you will always have that drive from and, and i want to talk about this a little more in depth you would you have that drive from everything you experience from three years of old uh, three years of age having to leave Afghanistan, and then even that 15-day journey. Now, I know you were a young kid, but I'm sure your, your parents, your father, would have would have spoken to you and described what you had to go through, even just to, to make it initially to Russia. So your drive is always going to be there from your previous experiences. Would, would that be fair? Yeah. Uh, I get this drive for my from my mom and dad. I, I feel like, uh, I feel like, uh, my mom's been, 
through a lot. She had cancer back when we were in Russia, thyroid cancer. Uh, she survived. She beat it. Uh, she had a, She went blind with one eye, went through a surgery while she had cancer. She beat that. Um, uh, I would, I would honestly, uh, I've been through some dark times, dude. I've been through so much dark times that like sometimes I'm, I'm afraid to let it out because how like deep it is. Yeah. Like the best way to explain it is I've read this uh, David Goggins book. Yep. Yep. And then a couple of first pages, how he explained his mom and his dad's situation and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, I've been through some rough times, dude. I've been through some like things that like, I'm even afraid to even open up and talk about it. Cause I just feel like it's so embarrassing and dark, but I, I never hate the experience that shaped me because if, if, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I feel like uh, seeing my parents go through a lot, uh, yeah. sleeping on empty room on like literally car, not even a carpet, like with my parents, seeing my dad go through to his last penny, come up to like having four, three workers work for him, having a little bazaar, having a store. And uh, yeah, just like, just seeing my seeing my my mom and my dad go through so much suffering and them making it and getting that strength for them and saying if like we could we could do it like like we just beat the odds like like what I just said from as soon as I do anything I'm always grateful and I always tell myself from where I come from I already won right yeah. so it's like that's the type of mentality I always like to uh, Ste stepping into the cage or the ring for you I'm yeah. not saying that it's nothing. But if you, I mean, as, as a three-year-old child, even surviving back in, in the day from, okay, let, let's actually, let, let's, let's go back a little bit to talk about just how dangerous it must have been to get out of Afghanistan for your family. So, for example, what would have happened if, if you, you and your family had been caught Trying to flee the Taliban. Oh, buddy, we would have, uh, we would have, uh, they would have definitely killed my dad. They probably would have took my mom, and they would have probably like made me one of them. They would, they would, they would literally brainwash you, and, and uh, it's risky. My dad, my dad used to, as in, as I told you, my dad used to sell carpet, right, rugs before his dad. So he used to travel a lot. Yeah. And then when he used to travel a lot, my mom used to get scared for him, and. So when he used to travel a lot, there's time my dad got uh, arrested in Pakistan. He went to uh, jail a little bit there illegally. Like they just caught him while he was going over. And then he he got an altercation once in Taliban. They beat him up pretty bad. Like he has a little like scar to this day. Like there's no hair growing on one spot. And then uh, yeah, he's been through some rough times, even like when he was traveling before he would get ready a couple of days ahead he would let my mom know he would make sure he would grow a long ass beard right yeah. he would make sure he wear some dirty ass clothes he would make sure that he wouldn't trim his hair he would make sure that like to not carry so much money around him and like set a little traps call his friend to make sure he's going to check up on him when he gets here he call his brother make yeah. sure like it was it was it was it was a quite a, a, a mission he every time he would he would try to get over because like it was it was it was like life or death every time he would leave to go get rugs and stuff so uh it was it was definitely time we we did come across a lot of like he came across a lot of like 
adversity with Taliban to the point where I'm sure he just got enough of it. And he's like, all right, like if I die, I die. Like if I, if I make it, I'll make it. Like, I feel like that's what he was mentality more. Anyway. And it's still crazy to me. Have, if you would tell me to, to go back into my old man's shoe and make yeah. that decision, I probably would have stayed. <laughs> yeah. No. And that's, com- I think it's that that's completely understandable because of the level of fear that families have. Uh, yes. How, how, I don't know if you've discussed this with your parents or, or even just your father or your personal experience. How did it feel to you or how does it feel to you now that the Taliban have regained control of Afghanistan? For someone who's made it's, it out, so to speak. It's, 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 it's shocking. Like, it's shocking. Like, like I remember, I remember like escaping at whatever, three years old. Like, it's just shocking. It's shocking. It's like, like, Look at the world. The world's moving. Generations are growing. Like it's everything's moving on, but like our country is still the same. Like it's just, I can't believe it. Like I'm speechless. Like I remember t- talking to someone literally a year ago, not even a year ago. Sorry, six months ago. What to one of my friends is just like talking about our country situation, and then we're like, like, until when? Like this is it's crazy. Like. I don't know what to say. It's like history repeating itself again. You know what I mean? Like yeah. back in 1999, this thing happened where we just took over. But it's like we're living in a world right now. It's like so much technology up there. It's just crazy to see that uh, Like, there's no humanity, man. It's a cold world. Like, you know what I mean? No country supporting. Like, we're, like how the hell do just a group of people just take over a country like that? But uh, I mean... You just learned, like, we, we, our country, our people suffered so much, though. It's just, like, it's we're just, like, uh, heartless, man. Like, you, you know as well as I do, or, or I'll get your opinion on this, that this is two uh, modern Muslim men sitting speaking here. That isn't the Islam that I know. Yeah. The, the See, Taliban thing, uh, style of Islam is, is not our Islam. Nah. No, the one thing that. people don't understand is 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 being religious or being a Muslim doesn't mean you're perfect. No, no. Do you know what I mean? So it's like that's what people get get confused. Is like if they see anybody identify him as a Muslim, they think, oh, he's like, you know what I mean? Like just yeah. because someone says they're Muslim or just someone follows as a religious person doesn't mean they're perfect most being a muslim doesn't mean you're a perfect person or the, the, the religion itself so yeah. that's what it's that's what people it's hard for people to understand okay awesome sorry about that um okay so we were we we, we get cut off there unfortunately but we were, no, we were just talking about this false idea that people maybe have about islam yeah so to just get to get back i feel like the part of the problem is too back home people use religion as a weapon yep more right more and 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 this whole idea about imam like a priest back home it's 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 more like it means more to people to be a priest than to be a teacher to be an engineer because those are the people back home that, that make these political decisions and and it's 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 tough to see it and uh yeah so i i I hate i hate i hate to uh to see the country suffer a lot through religion i feel like a lot of the problem it is back home it's like mainly like religion people think that like these priests 
pass on the different message to to younger generation and and um, sort of older ones. And I just feel like mental health back home, something that it's never talked about, dude. Oh. These people suffer every day, just a little bit, right? From to little kids to adults, it's a it's crazy. It's a it's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. So from eventually making it across the border and out of Afghanistan. Uh, and again, I, I, I do know that you were, you were a young child at the time, but from what you've spoken to your parents about, tell us if you can go a wee bit more in depth and give us a couple of examples of the things, because you, you, you didn't get to safety until you got to Russia. So that 15 days, that, that I, I assume that was a very dangerous time until you, you finally were able to relax a little bit in Russia. What happened in that 15 days? How did you travel through the countries? Did, did your family encounter riskier situations? What happened from when you crossed the border out of Afghanistan till you finally got to, to Russia? Just give me one second. I just need to open this door and I'll answer this no question. Worries. No worries. No worries. Sorry about that. No um, in the 16 days, uh, so basically the way we fled Afghanistan is when we went to Iran, uh, when we got there, uh, it was just like my family, a uh, bunch of some other families were there. So uh, this person found a route to get to Russia through uh, a lot of these countries. He, we had fake passports and then we did have, we did have fake passports and sometimes would either travel through the car so it would be like a, a van, and I swear, I kid you not, it would be like maybe like 16 people in one van. Yep. And like every, like there was no place to sit. Everybody was on top of each other, things like that. And then when you would make it to one country, we'd probably stop the car somewhere and then walk through the forest or walk through a, like a jungle area, get yep. to this weird uh, bonded house, be there for a day or two. The guy would uh, cook something or if there was no food, he would just give you some water and then we'll get back in a car or walk a mile or whatever it is and then get in a, a train illegally, like yeah. hide yourself. And then once we get to a train and then once we got to Russia, then it's like, all right, like you're on your own. Like I did my job. As soon as we touched down, my dad paid him the money and buddy just disappeared. And then my uh, grandfather was there on the train tracks. He was the one that met us there. And then uh, once, as soon as we came down, we touched down. I remember my mom just like falling to tears and just crying so bad. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a, uh, it was, it was a quite of a journey. I don't remember a lot, but I remember my mom telling me these uh, crazy stories that are like, makes you question that like, you know, how hard he had, like how hard he had life. You know what I mean? So it was a, it was, it was, it was a quite of a journey. Like it wasn't just like nice empty plane ride. It was car, a lot of walking, a lot of illegally trespassing some properties or houses and getting into train illegally. So it was, yeah. it was a quite of a journey. Definitely. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, do you have any children? No, I'm, I'm, I'm single man. I'm 25 years old right now. Well, still single. Where, I, uh, I, I've, I've got one son and I'm thinking, and you'll realise this if, inshallah, you have you have kids. Uh, I, I'm thinking that the pressure that must have been on your father and mother 
to protect their children. So, so going through this this journey, obviously they were very conscious of their own safety, but mm -hmm. the pressure your parents must have felt because they had to. How, how many how many children were they bringing? Uh, we have uh, we have, our family's four kids. It's me, my sister, and my uh, two brothers after. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the pressure was tough. Uh, I I think my mom. I think my mom, being a um, she was more of a, she used to always take care of us, and you know how we're religion like just our culture is. Women usually kind of take care of the kids. Yep, man yep. goes there, hustles, and uh, one thing I really respect my man. My older, my old man is he never complained a day in his life, man. He never complained a day in his life. He never woke up, said, Ah, I gotta go to work. That man got up, disciplined, man. He every day he would get up, he would have his milk, he would have his eggs, he would have his yogurt, he would buckle up his belt tight. He put his belt up so high, <laughs> buckle up his belt, clean up his shoes, wear his coat, you know, and, and say goodbye. And then come in the next day while we're asleep. And, uh, that's just he would like, like the def the definition the term of hard work. You put that into shame, yeah. and my mom was uh while my dad was like always working and making sure we we had bread on our table. My mom was uh, a a very good uh, uh housewife, but then she always taught us respect, morals, uh, and how to uh how to uh treat something, how to be uh professional like like i'll give you an example uh we would uh, i was one day sitting at home and then my mom said hey pass me the remote please right and i just tossed it to her from one room for another just tossed it to her she 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 and as soon when i tossed it to her she she looked back a little a little bit at me I'm like what's going on she took the remote and whack smacked me back threw it back at me she said listen she's like i'm not a dog yeah. Next time when someone elder passes you, asks you to pass you something, you take that, you walk over, you give him to the hand and you say, here, go. It's like, yeah. don't ever, don't you ever do that. Those are the type of hard lessons I had to learn and to understand how to treat people, what respect is like, right? One day I was sitting in front of with my dad and uh, uh, a bunch of his friends as guests. And my, my dad would always like, would always say, uh, guests are always in in Farsi. They say it, it, it basically says "Meiman Rafiq Khodas." It means uh, guests are always God's uh, friends, mm -hmm. meaning like they're they they're guests. They're, like they're it's it's weird to say, but then what what it basically means when a guest comes over, it's God's friend. Make sure you treat him to yeah, your fullest. Fine, Make yeah. sure hospitality is there, right? Yeah. And then um, so. My dad gave me, well, we're taught, we're sitting down with his friends and my friends were just like moving. You could see, tell the vibes are about to leave. My dad is looking at me, trying to give me the signal and I, I'm not catching the signal. Like he's telling me something and whatever. And then, and then, and then I, and then I still didn't understand. He just came over, took my ear. He twisted me up, picked up my ear in front of everybody. He says, when the guest leaves the house and you could see it, you go over there, you get their shoes ready, you get their coats ready and you stay by the door. And, yeah. you, and you greet them out. So those are the type of lessons I had to learn. And growing up in a country like Russia, you could not, as a kid, go onto the private uh, in, a, in a transit bus and then see an older lady standing and you sitting down. People would force you. And then they'll point out, you say, Kate, get up, let that older lady sit. Yeah. So it's like, 
I loved it. I, I love that I had to learn it in that way a little bit hard ways, but I felt like those little things in life really taught me how to be a, a good human, but also learned me how to handle big things better. Yeah. So uh, one of the charities that, that I've tried my best to support over the years uh, and still do is UNICEF. And when we were talking before the podcast and, and you mentioned mm -hmm. it was through UNICEF that you eventually made it to yes. North America or Canada. Uh, tell me how, how that played out. So you'd started martial arts in Belarus. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I started then, martial arts and then uh, when we got to Belarus, my dad's, uh, my dad, one thing he always would teach me, even when he'd take me to gym, he'd say, he says, he says, make friends, make friends for us, make friends. He's like, you never know who you're going to run into one day. And he always give me this uh, quote that I live by. He says, your network is your net worth. Yep. Okay. And then, uh, and uh, you know, I understood my dad, but I'd be like, why is my dad saying that? Like, you know? And then I understand that as I grew up a little older and uh, he, 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 he knew a friend that worked in the UNICEF and then his friend offered him uh, uh, saying that, Hey, uh, there's some application coming up. There's chances of you going to Canada and uh, make set up application and then go for it. And another thing that I've always, always learned from my dad, he says, never tell you what you're doing until it's done. Yeah. And then, cause he says there's some people with the evil eye or evil spirit could get, get uh, kind of like crush your, uh, crush your step. Yeah. yeah. And he never told my mom that we're, he made this case that he applied and we're in the process of going. And then uh, while the, while he did this within, this was 2008 when he applied, this is when the biggest, big infl inflation happened around the world. Like it was bad economy. His bazaar was when the store in bazaar was doing bad. So he finally made the application in 2008. And then by 2009, we got approved, but he didn't tell us. He told us two weeks before we were about to departure. Yeah. And then uh, by, by, by that time, I was a national state. Uh, I was a nationals competing. I was three years deep into Muay Thai. My first competition was in 2007. I placed silver at the Belarusian national, Nationals. So it was good. It kind of was eye-opening. I, uh, I beat up a few kids. I seen uh, other few good kids that were like national champions and i was just like always scared of them looking at them because it was the same kids always running to each other so i was doing good and i thought like hey you know what like finally after moving so much we finally resettled like i'm gonna go to belarus i'm gonna be like a a world champion one day like andre kulabin and uh, like life is good i'm gonna be like a national state and uh my goal what got me into more thai is is uh is uh was to go to the uh, Olympics of Muay Thai called IFMA. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to always go there and represent Belarus. And then that didn't happen, but then the still, uh, the, the dream led me to one to another. Yep. And then finally in 2009, my dad literally came home one day and he was just happy. This weird happy vibe. He's like, guys, we're leaving. i like, where? And he's like, we're going to Canada. And we're like, damn and right away when he said that i was like damn this is the american dream because we always see america and canada on tv like when we're home alone or we, yeah. live, we didn't understand english but we seen like what was going on behind the camera 
Yeah. So then they're like, damn, like we're gonna see the American dream. We're gonna go over. We're gonna go over probably. They're see, just buy us you tell this, I'm being really rude to you. See the yeah. cotton pen. The mic's picking up. Sure. No worries. <laughs> that yeah, would drive people that. crazy. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> you like, um, Carry on. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. And then, uh, uh, so and then I thought when my dad's like, we're going to Canada. I thought we we're like we're gonna go have our own like a house with a, th- a yellow school bus in the morning is going to come pick us up we're going to go in there we're going to go into school and cafeterias like we see in cartoons and movies like we're going to make friends and i'm going to play american football so i'm like damn like i'm sold to this dream like i'm ready to restart like and then my mom my mom got mad because my dad like he just said this two weeks prior to leave so she's like what are we going to do to all of our belongings like our couches tvs my dad's like give him away, give him away. Like who cares? Like, cause my dad was very uh, cautious of always like who he talks to, how, like who his friends are. He would always worry about his inner peace and inner, inner energy. And, uh, and then he finally told my, uh, I, my uncles from my mom's side that, Hey, we're leaving. They got a little pissed off at us too. They're like, Oh, why don't you tell us like we would have left with you guys. And my dad's like, it is what it is. And then we finally left. And then I remember touching down in Toronto on July 5th, July 7th, uh, 2009, when I came down in Toronto and then uh, I touched down in the airport and I seen all the bright lights. I seen the country, I seen the airport. And I'm like, I couldn't believe it. I just had to like pinch myself. And then I was all excited. I think I was 13 years old. And then I was always like the, like the, the small leader of the pack of the family. Cause I was like, I, I couldn't speak English, but I could always get the job done. I could always pass the message. And I was like, always the go-to cause I was the eldest and it was weird. I was like, to help my mom. I could read a little bit. Cause back in Russia, when I was in school, we used to learn English. I couldn't speak it, but I could read a little bit. I could maybe like say H I hi, or you know what I mean? So I could yeah. say a little bit. And then we finally came into Toronto and when we came into Toronto, we went to my dad's uh, friend's house. He lived in projects. So you can imagine how like rough the projects are. We went to this yeah. area in Toronto that's called Jane and Finch. It's, the, it's, the, it's like the biggest project uh, neighborhood in Toronto to this day. And there's a lot of gun violence, a lot of poverty, a lot of immigrants. It's like the slums of Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Very bad. And uh, when we got to his house it was this nasty building first thing as soon as we get inside the building the elevator opens and there's like piss on on in a corner of the elevator and i'm like and i'm like damn we left one gutter to come to another gutter and yeah. then back in the days there was a game gta you know the whatever yeah. they used to play on pc and then i'm like damn this is like the game like we just came into like this this hood like I was so like disappointed because that the 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 picture that I imagined like that school bus, a yeah. beautiful house, like that American dream didn't happen. So I was so crushed. We finally was we lived in this house for two months. It was rough. It was so much bed bugs. Like it was it was hard. We're like, damn, like this is not where we imagined. We finally got our own house in the in the, in Toronto. We moved out and we lived. Uh, we went to, we bought our part, we rented our apartment and we finally got to apartment, but somehow our stuff got delayed, our carpets, our 
couches. And then me and my family literally slept for five days on an empty floor in a house with no food. Like we went to buy groceries and stuff, but literally no pillow. And I remember this day, man, it, it, it hits me so much. My mom was crying at home. My little brother was sleeping on the floor and he was like, mom, like, I hate this. My mom's like, I can't believe, like, I, I, like, I hate this. Like, you know, like this, she was just crying. And I turned around to my mom. I was 14 years old. I said, you know what? Like, it's okay. At least we got our own place now. Like, at least, like, that's, that's what matters. At least we're in our place. We're not outside, right? And it hit me hard. That's when I, like, that's when I was just, like, be grateful, you know? Just, like, I looked at my mom and we suffered. It was, it was a hard pill to swallow. Yep. And uh, I couldn't speak English. So every day, like seeing our situation at home, I would literally go outside, sit all day in the front, waiting for like our carpets to receive for our beds. It was it was it was a rough couple of days. And finally, we got settled in uh, Canada. And then I went to school uh, uh, where I lived in the area it was called Flemington Park. It was a, another like a. a neighborhood like a project area uh, and then uh, there was a lot of Afghans surprisingly yep. in that neighborhood a lot of immigrants a lot of people from Pakistan India Bangladesh it was a very multicultural uh, area and then I went to school there my first I, when I came to Canada they put me straight into grade eight no English bro yep. so it was hard it was hard it yep. was hard going from a school where you sit in a class in order for you to use the washroom you got to put your hand up the teacher in Russia would see it, acknowledge it. Okay, go. Right. Or it, it was weird. I remember going, going to class in, in Canada and then sitting down and all of a sudden kid just gets up and walks away. I'm like, wow, <laughs> like this kid just didn't get paid for doing that. Where's the respect? Yeah. Right? Yeah, and yeah. then there's me. I didn't know that he could just get up. So I put my hand up. The teacher was surprised because I couldn't speak no English. Like, how come is he asking a question? It's like, yes, for those, what would you like? And I, could, I said, toilet, toilet. That's all I could say. Yeah. It's like, oh, you don't have to ask. You can just go. And then there was an Afghan kid surprising in our class. I said, what did she just say? She says, oh, just go. Don't, don't ask. I said, oh, snap. Okay, cool. So and then I just went. And uh, yeah, it was, it was very different. And then I finally went to high school, graduated uh, high school. When I went to high school, I found a gym in Toronto that was called a Warrior Muay Thai. It was run under a gentleman uh, named, uh, named under Zubair Khan. He was from Pakistan himself. But then I hit him up on Facebook. Uh, I did a little research about him and I signed up. I, tr I started training there in 2011. Yeah. I had my first exhibition fight there in Canada. When I started training, Muay Thai was illegal. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. so we're doing a lot of these exhibition matches and stuff like that. So I had a lot of like these fights and stuff. And then uh, finally, I started fighting as an amateur. And uh, Zubair Khan was huge, 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 huge a part of my uh, uh, career success. This this gentleman was just like a, a genius. Was like a genius in the uh, in the Muay Thai scene. He was very big in Canada. He was like one of the uh, OGs, like a pioneer in, in Canada. Him himself, he fought a very, uh, he fought in the international level of Muay Thai. He fought in Thailand. He has about like close to, I think, 50 to 40 amateur fights and a couple of pro fights. Yep, and yep. then, um, so me and him fought for, I stayed in the gym for, I think, until until 2017, 18, until I decided to MMA. Yep. I fought, I fought, I mean, him uh, concurred uh, uh, the 139.7 to 140. Two was it 
uh, title uh, in Canada best. And then when I when I got the title and I fought, I was best in uh, in uh, Ontario in my province. I couldn't travel outside of uh, Canada because I wasn't a citizen. Right. So and then it was hard. Uh, I was heartbroken, and uh, I gave up on the sport, bro. I yeah. gave up on the sport. I was heartbroken. I was depressed. Uh, there was some things happened in life where uh, I was doing some uh, uh, schooling and then I got kicked out of the uh, schooling before I was doing plumbing. And then <laughs> I thought life was over. I got rejected from the school. So I was hanging around in my neighborhood, being around people in the, in the, in the, in the projects and, and seeing friends get arrested and stuff. And uh, it was, it was tough. I was like literally heartbroken. I gained weight. I was 187 pounds, dude. Okay. I was depressed. And then my own mom, my own mom doubted me. My own mom was like, listen, like you're, 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 you're bad at this sport. You should quit and this and that. And it was shocking to me. Like my own mom saying that to me. Yeah. And then, uh, I got the fire back slowly, uh, and then I came back. When I came back, uh, I got this opportunity. I got my passport eventually. Yeah, yeah. Then when I came back, 2016, I started slowly training. Uh, I fought in this tournament called WKA in New York. Yeah, I made yeah. it to the finals. I made it to the finals eight-man tournament, and then I lost because I was fighting in 147 and guys were bigger and then that's where i learned to respect the weight classes yeah. and then uh it was it was hard i came back after my tournament and was i had like uh, i thought i was like talented kid i could like brush through the tournament with my talent just because i did a lot of like, cheating i didn't cut weight properly and this and that and then i lost and i cried and then uh i lost again and then that's me coming back after this depression and after this layover so i had two losses back to back and he just killed me and, and I was I was like crushed mentally and then my next fight I actually went another weight class lower yeah like I went to 142 and then uh I lost that one and then it was like three losses in a row and then I was just like crying I was just like uh like it was hard so it was like I was like so desperate to win so I just started changing my identity start being more disciplined start researching how to become a better like what to do how to level up my recovery i started doing ice bites i started doing things that i hated because i i hated losing i was it was i had enough of it like yeah. i was going through i went through so much that this depression just like literally like put so much toll on me and then finally i got the offer i tried out for team canada for kickboxing for waco mm -hmm. and then yeah. i finally uh made it i finally made it and then uh, they offered me to fight in China for a promotion called Wulin Feng. Okay. It's WLF. A lot of a lot of great kickboxers fought there, like guys like uh, City Chai, guys like Chengiz Alazov, yeah. one of the great kickboxers that I trained with too, and like I knew him as a friend. Um, my favorite uh, MMA fighter, Israel Adesanya, fought for the same promotion in the yeah, same yeah. stadium as I fought. So I fought in this promotion in 2008. And then I signed a contract. I finally, uh, uh, they made the team Canada. And then uh, I was supposed to fly to China to fight uh, Chinese fighters. There were 10 fighters selected from Canada. And we got this paid trip, everything paid for to go fight. And that was my first Bearshin fight nice. that I accepted yeah. to go in China. And then uh, 
And I'll never forget this. China, uh, this fight I lost, but it was the best thing that happened to me. Yeah. It was the best thing that happened to me. I seen my potential in that fight. I seen my future in that fight. I seen what I'm capable of and uh, so much stuff more. And going to a country like China and then seeing like how life is there, it makes you feel more grateful and to see how kids are suffering there. And when I, when I went to China, I went there by myself. My coaches couldn't make it. Uh, uh, it was tough. I was there with some other coaches that never cornered me. Yeah. Uh, I was cutting weight. I was working a full-time job as a plumber uh, while training for this fight. I remember like sometimes breaking down at work, like literally like breaking down, like literally sitting down. And then uh, at that time I was doing, I was telling you, I was like so desperate try to win try to find a, a find a find a way to win that i was doing like ice bath stuff we're doing Wim half breathing methods yeah, 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 i was yeah. watching my diet i was uh like i was like try to be on point because i wasn't i couldn't afford to lose anymore because if i were after this china fight my decision was if i was going to lose i was going to quit the sport that was it like i was going to hang up the gloves and then uh some days I would I work, I would break down and I'll hide from my boss. I would literally chill somewhere and I would like put a timer on my phone 10 minutes and I would just breathe, 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 breathe 10 minutes. And then I finally go back to work. Yeah. And then I was cutting weight. It was so hard. I was like literally uh, drinking black coffee every day to just keep me on. It was hard. Some days I would pull up the gym. I was so mentally tired that I'll make 10 laps around the circle. I'll come to the gym and I'll say, Oh, I'm tired, man. I don't think I could do it. And then I'll be like, no, 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 no. All right, I'll go back. I would literally try to get out of my car and be like, no, man. Like, I think I need a break. And then I'll go back. And then I finally made it to the gym. I did my session. It was, it was, it was so hard. I, I've been through a lot of obstacles. And I was like a first year apprentice when I was working. So I was like this helper that was like yeah. running around. <laughs> like, you know how apprentice gets treated. And then uh, I finally made it to the fight. Uh, this fight, opened my potential so much this fight was the first fight that i made uh, four thousand dollars from sponsors mm -hmm. i reached out to my company that was called alberici they're a pretty big construction company in america they're the ones that built the miami dolphin stadium i reached out to the president and i said hey I, I told him about my life story i told him uh, about my journey and how i'm on team canada and he loved my story he said you know what you've been through a lot of diversity and i want to help you so they they sponsored me about two thousand dollars and then there's another uh couple of catering catering company and then some other people sponsored me and that fight i made first time i made money and i was as an amateur and i was like damn like i could make a career out of this yeah. i could maybe like like if i could do this god knows maybe i could chase more like yeah. When I get accomplished, I could get more better opportunities. So I started making my own shirt, my my logo, my sponsors. It gave me that like that feeling that like you know if you if you go after what you want, you you you'll get what you want. And I finally fought in China. When I fought for this promotion, it was my first time for fighting in such a big promotion. The lights, the cameras, the medias. We we're getting really treated like professionals, right? Fighting in the same stadium as Israel Adesanya. So it's like all these emotion, mixed feelings, they really get to you, right? At the hotel press conference, shootout, media day. So I'm like, damn, like we're really getting this experience. And then I finally was about to fight. This fight, I was never, never, never so nervous, dude. It was uh, like, I was so nervous that like, like, 
like I was shaking backstage when they were about to call my name. Like I was telling my uh, a team Canada coach and it was just like, relax, relax. Like we're just talking. I finally made my walk. I get there. I remember that Mike Tyson impression. I was looking into his eye and I wouldn't let him like <laughs> slip away from me. And then finally we fought round one, round two. I fought. And when I fought, I was so nervous that when I fought the first two rounds, I was so um, impressed on myself, so proud of myself while I was fighting that I was like, damn, Bobby, like you belong in this. This is your world. Like, like you're doing this. Like I'm looking over and while the uh, media, uh, while the break is happening around, like I'm fighting in the stadium, like this dream is actually happening. Yeah. And then round three, <laughs> last 30 seconds, I'm winning the fight and I get dropped with a spinning oh. back fist. One of my favorite moves. And I get an eight count. One, two, and I just get up and <laughs> this fire inside of me that like just ignited and just it just unbushed and I knew it just like it just slipped away from me. And then I, I fought well. I came back into the round. I lost and then I lost. Uh, a split decision because uh, the round was 10-9, 10-9 for me, the first two, and yeah. the second, third round was 10-8, so it didn't, it, didn't, it didn't come to a draw, but it came to, like, a decision where they had to favor one guy, so two judges gave it to him, and one judge gave it to me, and then as soon as uh, uh, he won, I got heartbroken, and then uh, I got very heartbroken, I went to the room, and then I just, like, punched this wall, they made a huge dent, and my coaches were going crazy and then I had to apologize to the promoter. A lot of emotions going on and I lost and I was just like, you know, like, I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. And I finally, after I came down, it hit me and I'm like, like, damn, like, if you would ask me, like, when I was depressed fighting, that I was going to fight in this tournament, that I was, like, I went out there and I survived one of one of the best in the world. Like, these China fighters, he fought like this, uh, a lot of these Thai legends that had two three hundred fights and some that he won some he lost so i was like this fight it opened my uh eyes to to see that i really belong at this level i can really hang in there if i could go back and just stay true stay disciplined and really live this life full time that i could like like it's doable i could do this like like i remember talking calling back to my coach Zubir Khan and saying dude like I, I was so positive that yep, I yep. couldn't believe how was how how was I was reacting right. And the next day I went back home, and then I was very positive and my coach, and we got back to training. And dude, afterwards when I was watching my fight and and this, and this promotion and the video was on YouTube, it was just like it was so addicting. The 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 feeling, the feeling yeah, that having that attention, yeah. having that like experience, and like being re representing Canada finally, and like being finally feeling like a human finally being treated and 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 finally coming from like a fat kid that never taught seeing Andre Kulubin you know go through all these things from a kid like imagining having dreams that I would win fights and imagining yeah. that I wish I was Andre Kulubin's brother to making it to that point it was just like kid like I think you got it like that fight gave me so much confidence when I came back uh, they offered me to uh, fight a Chinese guy again, this time in Canada. Yeah. So this time I made sure I trained hard, like super hard. Like, like I still was working a full-time job. This time 
I made uh, I made seven thousand of sponsors. That was my first time making big bucks as an amateur, and I was just like, "We getting rich, baby! Like we getting rich, right?" It was crazy because my union started helping me out. I finally started reaching out to my union. They sponsored me. I finally started coming up with my logos, my sponsors, and then my other sponsors. And I start I sold the I sold I sold about one hundred and twenty tickets. That was my first time eating like. My first time ever selling tickets and it was all time high. Yeah. So I was getting this love, the support from the city, from my friends. And it was uh, this state, it was in the stadium, Markham Panam Center. It was in the stadium. And then I was, I was literally doing everything I can. I was doing researches, watching a ton of Joe Rogan podcasts, changing <laughs> my habits, driving to gym, driving to gym. Instead of listening to music, I'll listen to a podcast. I started Instead of drinking regular coffee, I would drink a mushroom coffee. Yeah. Instead of uh, uh, <laughs> instead of just like no, doing instead things, dude, I would do like sauna, a sauna workouts, like where I would sit in the sauna for twenty minutes, go do ice bath for two minutes, yeah, yeah, yeah. repeat three times, like just some, just because I was so addicted at the feeling of that China fight, and my I, I seen like my future potential through my like eyes that made me so addictive to like winning like i didn't care that i was losing i didn't care like i had nothing to lose like like it was it was crazy like it was just this new bobby was born did that and then from, i really loved it did that, did that come from your childhood but did you still have this in your head of where you had came from and yes now you were and you had defeated that you had yes. won that battle that i you finally had. accepted yep. by that time before that i hated it i hated the experience that shaped me i always say oh like i always always have a chip on my shoulder i always had to like that i had to prove someone that i always had to put a statement but it, life is more than that That's life, why is, bigger than that. Yeah. life yeah. is bigger than that i finally came to realization i was like scrolling one day through the uh, instagram and i find this quote i'm a, I'm a very like philosophic i love quotes and poems and stuff because back yeah. when i was in russia one of the curriculum curriculums are there was a poem class. He had to memorize poems and codes as a kid from like one to five, like yeah. two, three pages. So always kind of that made me fall in love. So one day this quote says, you cannot hate the experience that shaped you, but you can only embrace it. And so I was like, damn, that's right. Like, <laughs> like if it wasn't for that, all the stuff that I've been through, I wouldn't be the man I am today. And then finally, the fight, uh, finally, I had this fight in Canada to versus China, and then I won this fight. I had the most supporters. Like, that whole stadium was just, like, crazy. When I walked in, it was like, Bobby. Like, this atmosphere was crazy. My mom's first time coming to uh, come see me watch fight. I brought my whole family tickets. Everybody was there. Like, it was a crazy, crazy atmosphere. I, I really felt like a superstar. Like, I really seen my more potential i seen hey bobby like if you could sell 120 120 tickets if you could make seven thousand as amateur for sponsors like the sky's the limit kid yeah. you know and all this media all this attention my name was blowing up a little bit people started hitting me up for promotions and then and then from there my fire desire which i just went to another level another notch another notch and while i trained for this fight i met uh evan boris my uh coach that i'm training now mm -hmm. and then the way i got connected with him is through my buddy named amin al malik he's mm -hmm. a, a he's a he's a he's like a 10-time world uh champion uh, as an amateur in muay thai and he's the, he's the first canadian to uh win the pan am american gold medal for canada okay, yeah. uh, in muay thai 
And uh, me and him uh, trained a lot at Warrior one time. We're like him, me, uh, me and him were pretty close buddies. And we went to the same high school, grew up in the same neighborhood. Yeah. That he was the reason why I joined Warrior Muay Thai. And then um, he introduced me to him one day. He used to train at a gym called Southside. And then he was, uh, his, his style is more Dutch style. Yep, yep. He's the one that made me fall in love with Dutch style kickboxing. And then I trained, he trained, helped me for this China fight a lot. And then slowly, 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 uh, I, tra- I started training more with him, started training more with him. And then I found out that Evan used to train uh, in uh, Florida on, in the hard knocks with Usman Kamaru, Michael yeah. Chandler, uh, Dominic Mazota from Pittsburgh here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of great athletes. And me, I love doing research. I love doing research about people. I love finding out who is who. And not just doing research and meeting or try to meet famous people or whatever, but just finding out a little bit about people. So that way when I talk to them or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting them or anything, it just makes them more appreciated to know, uh, to know a little bit more about them. Yeah. So, and then I finally got in touch with them and uh, I started training with them, but then I started, uh, my coach, Zubair Khan, he has four kids. He had a gym. It was hard for him to run a gym and then to train. And uh, it was, it, he, I was, I was being more now full-time training, like I was training hard and then he was, it was hard for him to be there, handle business, four kids, family. He had a full-time job. He was working for a hospital. He was our top recruiter and stuff. So, and then finally it was hard. I was, I was, I had a lot of big opportunities coming up. And then uh, uh, we finally came into a realization that I was just going to start working with Evan more and me and kind of, me and him kind of sat down. He's always going to be my brother. He's like my, yeah, he's no, like uh, my, my best okay. friend, you know, it was hard. And, he came to a realization, accepted. He says, "Hey, do what makes you happy. I'll fully support you. I understand that I can't give you the attention I can give, and I respect you that you came to me. And uh, loyalty is number one to me. I always stay loyal to my people, right? Like, like loyalty is number one to me. I always ride for someone to the until the wheels fall off. And then we finally came into realization. And then I started training with Evan full time in 2019. I had my uh, uh, I. Uh, Another Muay Thai fight with Evan. It was an A-class. We fought another uh, Amer- uh, American guy from Chicago. He came over to Canada, fought uh, in Canada. Uh, a main event. It was another fight, bear shin, and an amateur, and then uh, A-class, elbows, knees to the head. Everything was pretty cool. Yeah. That was another event. I sold about 120 tickets, made a bunch of money, sponsors. So it's like the, the wheel is rolling. Like yeah. I'm, 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 I'm getting confident. I'm getting uh, like better i'm evolving i'm, I'm getting this fan base and I'm, I'm getting I'm, I'm making my name i'm building my brand i'm seeing my potential and i want that fight and then uh i had a lot of support and then one day me and evan were training full-time and then i said uh, i knew evan was training mma and i seen a lot of guys he used to train dominic from mazota that trained with phil he came yeah. one day to uh toronto and then i seen him train with evan and then I seen him a little bit. He was like my height and whatever. And I knew it was in Bellator. And I seen them as, and I seen them. He was moving around. I'm like, okay. I'm like, if this guy could do this, I can do it too. Like we're humans. Like if you cut this guy right here, he's not gonna bleed blue. He's he will bleed red. He's like, so he, he uh, seeing Dominic training a little bit MMA. He was a very good grappler, but his standing was okay. Like he was evolving. So like I, I was a little cocky kid. So I was like, I'm a better striker than him. But if I get my wrestling a little better, like. I can stand with this guy. I can stand with this guy. And then one day, me it was me and Evan training. I said, Evan, I want to do MMA. It's just like a little shocked to Evan. He's like, you want to do MMA? I said, yes, I want to do MMA. He's like, all right, we're training in MMA today. And he just went 
he just switched it up 360. Yeah. All right, we're going to do grand and pound. I'm going to be on top of you, escape. And I have no jujitsu, no wrestling. And this guy's just giving me hell. And he just gave me this MMA training, put me on the ground and pound, did a little wrestling. And then he gave me this MMA, like little taste of MMA. So, like, so you like that? And I was just like, yeah, I'm down. He's like, all right. He's like, we got to get you started wrestling. So, and then I started uh, uh, doing a little research, seeing who's good in Canada, who can I train under. And then I finally came into a realization that I want to join this uh, gym called Niagara Top Team. Mm-hmm. They're in Niagara Falls. I was in Toronto. It's like two hour ride for me. Yeah, so yeah. every day I would work my schedule every day when I was fighting with Evan and training was I would wake up at 5 a.m. I would get up, have my breakfast, pack up my lunch cook all my diet food because i was on a diet while i was training and fighting so i would wake up 5 a.m get up 5 30 start work 6 30 working labor like i'm talking labor work buddy like <laughs> they don't care how tired you are they don't That's care the best feeling. these are grown men <laughs> that they don't give a single like you know they care that who cares yeah you gotta work like it's 6 30 you gotta pick up that 20 inch pipe put it on your shoulder there's no elevator you're walking up the ladder so I had to get ready. Like I used to be wired up before the work. And then after a hard labor work, I would get off work at 3.30. I would always work in the city downtown, sit in the car, my construction clothes. And then I used to work at a water treatment plant. If you, people don't know what a water treatment plant is, a shit plant as yeah. a plumber where <laughs> shit comes in, gets cleaned in and goes back to the lake. So some days, dude, I kid you not, I was sitting in my car and I would literally smell I was staying bad, dude. I used to open my windows. I was used to be a little broke. And I used to have this Honda with no AC, nothing. And things used to get heated in the car. It used to smell bad. And then I used to be in traffic for two hours, uh, four times a week. I used to go uh, in the car and drive to Niagara Falls all the way to the border. Two hours in the car, in traffic, make it to practice. I would always be late to practice. Always. Because it was hard. I would get off our work at 3.30 and I had to be in practice at 5 o'clock. Yeah. Our coach was one of those coaches. Is, I don't care. Work harder. I don't yeah. care. That's yeah. your problem. Like, you know, yeah. and then, uh, and then uh, when I, when I made, so I had to like crush this two hour drive into one and a half hours. So I used to like gun it. This, <laughs> this little Honda used to just like, zip through the highway through traffic and then i used to make it to training always late but then i always give my 100 percent. and then finally uh, uh i started training i came into realization my my wrestling coach we started training he's seen how good my striking was so he, he invested into uh he invested into me a lot and then uh finally came to realization says kid you're good i think it's like if you do this full time like there's a lot of good potential so out of nowhere i just got laid off asked for layoff yeah. and then i uh, collected uh, ei insurance employment and i moved in with my wrestling coach i was in this house living uh yeah. for about three four months and i literally quit my job i told my mom she was surprised she was shocked but she wanted to support me she's like do what makes you happy and then it was hard because the day that i left oh even though i lived i lived like an hour and a half away from home and then but they always come visit me but my mom would always get emotional crying. Cause I was always like the eldest. I always had to take care of my brothers. My mom been through uh, cancer. She had thyroid cancer. She yep. survived in Russia. She's been through a lot of uh, medical uh, problems. She has a little bit of mental health issue and stuff like that. So I always had to make sure not just my mom was good, but 
my mom, my dad was good with their relationship between each other, make sure my brothers were walking straight in the straight line, making sure they weren't giving my mom a hard time. Like I was like the man in the house, but like, not really, but like just making sure everything was aligned. Even it was hard, like a 20 year old kid didn't have his life together, was figuring out life, but yet he was, I was like independent, but I got people dependent on me every day, yeah, dude, every day. Like I was, it was hard for me. Even when I lived in my wrestling coach gym, my mom would call me, oh, your brother doing this, you this and that. And it was hard, like even like jumping into MMA, like not knowing how to wrestle, going every day. Guys used to kick my ass because I was a good striker. When we used to spar MMA and small gloves, I used to like give guys some good work. And then the moment they used to take me down, I was just this useless kid and he used to like punish me. He used to punish me hard. Right. And then um, eventually I started living with my coach and I started going broke. I started running out of money. I didn't have like literally a dollar to eat. And then it was hard. I told my coach that I had to finally go back home and uh, get things together and I'll come back. And then that fell apart. I finally had to get back to work. I started, uh, had to help out my family with rent, with groceries. It was hard because my dad is the only, uh, breadwinner at home so I finally started helping him out and then uh I got back to work and then and then finally the COVID thing happened and then before the COVID I finally came down to uh Pittsburgh with my coach yeah to Matt Factory to Don Mazzotta down here and uh met Isaac Greeley and I seen uh the country Pittsburgh I kind of liked it I came to Lower Burl so it was like a little more country I was like I'm a city guy you know I'm not a country boy so it's like I was was always around cities like so coming to here pittsburgh a little bit like lower borough countryside it was a little bit and we came to this math factory my thing was always talked about math factory these guys are good rest i come to this little blue dungeon i'm like oh like this is a small ass gym like these guys say they're good like let's see what they're all about dude i come on to the mats and i get my ass what this little guy named jimmy sarah he's a black belt i didn't know he was a black belt back in uh, my factory so i'm looking at this guy i'm like i'm gonna kick this guy's ass dude like this guy doesn't stand a chance as soon as i get there i'm rolling with this guy and this dude just kicks my ass crushes my ego right after that day i learned to respect everyone in the gym that lesson gave me the best lesson is to treat everyone the way you want to be treated doesn't matter if someone looks weak, someone looks like strong or whatever, always respect anyone. Doesn't matter white belt or whatever. Yeah. I kind of got a good, uh, 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 like good vibes from the wrestling. So I went back to Canada and I knew like I had to come back here. Like I had this feeling like this is it. Like this place is going to give me what I want to. So then the pandemic, when the pandemic happened, I was still working and stuff like that. And then um, four and a half months ago, Evan, my coach, he left the country. He went to Florida to see his friends, to just go train, meet a couple of people. And one day he just called me and we had this deep conversation. I said, Bobby, you think you got time? You're 25 years old. You think you're young, but you don't. Like tomorrow is not guaranteed as a kid. Because he went back to see Usman Kamaro, Michael Chandler, and these guys. And he says, kid, you, you got talent. Like I believe in you. You could hang with these dudes, but like just, just, let's let's do this together like you can do this and and when he gave me that call like he gave me goosebumps and like like he gave me goosebumps and like i cried afterwards when i talked to him like cried like cried that like i came into realization after that call that like this is it like this is meant for me this was this was destined like like i want to do this like 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 this was this wasn't just like a call this was like god's 
message like yep, send yep. give it to evan to send it to me to say that like hey like kid like go for it like like go for it so yep. after that night uh I, I told my parents hey i booked my ticket and i said hey i'm gone and i was like she was shocked she was speechless she just sat down and she it, it hit her and she's like okay she's like okay She's like, I'm happy. I'm happy. Anything you want to do, like go follow your dreams and go this and that and go do that. So I, before I, I left, I had to like uh, save up a little money because I was like a little breadwinner by home, back home. And I used to help my parents with like cost and uh, rent and stuff like that. So I had to like make sure my family was good before I leave. So I had to work a little bit, give like good chunks of money for rent and for help and stuff like that. So that yeah. way, like they're good. By the time I go there, you could figure out some. And I helped out my younger brother. He was like 20 years old. I put him into uh, electrical unit. So he's an electrician now. I'm happy. He's helping out the family, always providing. And uh, my sister, uh, she just had her first kid. Uh, so it's, um, it's, it's happy to see that. And then she finally graduated college for like second one in the family. I was the first one too. And yep. then she became, she did social worker. Like our family is very young. Everybody's just like, finally like coming up like yep. building a life for themselves so it was finally good to see and i made this move i came here and uh, it was hard it was so hard to to let go of everything to come down here and to restart yep. and to finally restart again? so when i came down here again? dude talk again? about it like <laughs> this is my like fourth time fourth time yep. like restarting like literally that was my thing like shit again like my finally the, the when I was coming down here on the airport on my way, my, my dad was dropping me out. I was tearing up and, and on the way back there. And I'm just saying like, damn, like, how am I going to do this? Like, how am I going to survive? I know I'm going to run out of money there. Like one way or another, I don't have a lot, like what's going to happen. And, and, uh, it was, it was tough. And then I'm very, uh, grateful. And I don't know how to thank, uh, uh Isaac, Isaac Greeley, uh, Evan Boris, Dominic Mazota, and Phil Marys. These guys, like, uh, when I came down here, they really uh, structured a plan. And uh, these four people literally, like, came up with a, a master plan and, like, a game plan of for my career, yeah. for my uh, training. And then, uh, and then I started training down here, and it was, it was, it was, it was good that I finally started like doing this full time. Like, it still didn't feel real to me. Yep. still training and stuff but then uh these four and a half months if i lie if i'd say if, if it was been uh easy uh, i would lie to you it's been oh, it's been definitely time hard yeah. sometimes uh um sitting in in rooms and just sitting in my room and just getting homesick out of nowhere and like thinking about my family and then my mom calls me sometimes she gets a little emotional we talk and finding work and down here and like try to survive financially a little bit and then uh fighting like uh fighting through injuries like i had this injury when i came down here uh when i was training and i got it i got it into my training camp my thumb was hurting like pretty bad like i couldn't bend yeah. it and i was wrestling through my fight camp so the goal was is to fight the fight uh fight the fight with the injury and then take care of the injury afterwards. Yeah. And then after the injury, after the fight, uh, the injury was still there. So we were recovering. It was getting better, 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 better. 
And then we just took this fight that I fought on the weekend two and a half weeks ago. Just, yeah. you know, kind of taking fight that I'm here. And then uh, walking into this fight, uh, came, uh, it was hurting, but it was recovering. And then this fight, I uh, injured my hand in round one. And I felt it. I felt numb. And then um, opponent was tough. He was tough. He was from New York, uh, Vincent. He's from Renzo Gracie gym. Very good gym. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, round one, I really felt my hand. Uh, like go numb and go like really hot so and then uh, and I was winning the round in the last 15 seconds he hit me with two crosses first cross hit me second yeah. one rocked me and I fell down on one knee and yeah. then after that uh, I don't remember what happened I was concussed in the fight yeah. and then uh, I was concussed in the fight I don't know how I uh, survived but I felt like I was like an autopilot I was like an autopilot. I just literally fought. I don't know how I fought. I don't know what I said in my speech, like after fight speech. I came into realization is when we went to the change room and I got back to the change room after this fight. And then I turned around to my coach, my coach and Phil was there. And I said, so I said, what am I fighting? And like, dude, you just fought. And then I said, oh, okay, did I win? And I said, did I win? I said, did I win? Yeah, you did, but you got dropped. I said, no, I didn't, man. I didn't get dropped. He's like, yes, you did. And I'm like, so I, I lost. These guys are telling me I got dropped. I lost. I'm like, no, 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 no. You got dropped, but you won. And I'm like, no, man, you're kidding me. I pulled Phil Dominic to the side. I said, guys, come on. Like, stop shitting me. Like, did I win? I was pretty bad. Concussed. My opponent came back to talk to me. He said something like, oh, uh, something like that. I could have finished you. And I wasn't like conscious, still concussed in my mind. I just, yeah, 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 whatever. I just said something and I left. And then I found out what he said after, but it's whatever. It's not personal. It's fight business. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, finally, after the fight, when the chain room guy got empty, I said with one of my uh, uh, coaches down here, Matt Schaefer, he's like a jiu-jitsu uh, practitioner. He's like, uh, he's like, you're good. You won this fight, but you got concussed. When he said that, he rang bells. I said, oh, concussion. Oh, oh. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, it was good, man. This fight, I've been through, talk about adversity, getting knocked out, getting my hand broken. And I like, it was, it was tough. Like I was, I was tested. I was really tested this fight. And, uh, and I'm happy, you know, I'm happy because like I put on a good show for people to come watch. I really, I really showed people my true character. I really tested myself through adversity. Like, you know how I've been fighting a warrior through my whole life yeah. and uh it really made he really gave me this feeling that i'm gonna be like i could i could hang in there deep waters with guys in worst come scenario and it made me respect the game you know it made me respect the game in ways is like no matter uh how good you are a uh, 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 someone uh, stupid with it with that game without a game plan with their forearms gloves could like yeah really uh like you know what i mean could win with with the without a with a game plan but just like yeah, a simple yeah. one one two you know so it made me really respect the game more and, and and really made me uh understand that like there's levels to this and i if i want to be better i gotta be like super on point so you i mean it's a live and learn thing and uh, i'm happy like i'm happy with the outcome and uh, i'm just happy i finally found what i love to do it doesn't feel like work anymore and uh <laughs> And uh, I feel like now, as I'm getting older, I'm not being cocky, but I'm being realistic. Like, I, I see that I could manifest whatever I want if I truly put in the work, put in the time, 
put on the effort and sacrifice, right? Okay. Things like in order for me to get, in order for you to achieve things, you have to give away something, right? Yeah. In order for you to get it. So yeah. like so, it's, it's been tough, but I've been going through it, man. It's, one, it's, more, it's been... one more question. And this kind of relates a way back to everything that we started the podcast with. Where are you heading? What is the dream then? So from someone who has, someone as a three-year-old had to flee from the Taliban with a family, mm -hmm. spent 15 days, spent 15 days traveling to safety in Russia, then moving to Belarus, then uh, getting an application through UNICEF to move to Canada. How's this story going to end? How's the, what, what is your ultimate dream? Where are you heading? I think that's the ultimate question. What I want to, what I, my ultimate dream right now is, is to be the top five Afghan to be signed in the UFC. So right now, the first ever fighter in the UFC, Siahar Bahadurzada, he's like the pioneer. He was the first person in, Fight, seeing him fight, seeing him represent Afghanistan, seeing him represent the flag, seeing him train with John Jones, seeing him train with Greg Jackson, uh, and seeing him train with Henry Hoof, with top guys in Hanging Ditch, seeing him train with uh, uh, Alistair Overeem, Tyron Spong, with legends like that, and yep, yep, yep. seeing him compete. So he really brought the light to me to say that we, if that Afghan kid could do it, if that kid that came through a war torn country like I did, I could do it. And then seeing the second fighter, Nasser Hakparas, that he's in the UFC lightweight, he's doing good. We just got a third Afghan signed in the UFC. I'm sure it's Jawid. He lives in London, actually. He okay. trains at London Shoot Fighters with the uh, uh, MVP. Uh, Michael Page, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and he just was the third Afghan. So I'm chasing to be in that top five. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, my goal is to make it to the big leagues, is to provide a generation wealth like what my dad did. What my dad did, he sacrificed his life. He sacrificed his family. He sacrificed everything to give the best life to me. And he, 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 he not just to me, but he gave me this generation wealth to the family so that I'm good in Canada, right? My, my kids, kids good. My kids, kids, kids good. So what my goal is to, is, is to give back to my dad's, uh, how can I say, to, to give back, not just to my dad, but to, to, to give back to my, to say thank you to my dad by making something out of my life so I could appreciate and give back and be able to support my generation of this Naomi upcoming, you know, future kids. So that way my kids, my kids, kids, my future kids, even my brother right now, nobody has, nobody should face and go through what I did. Right. Yeah. We've been through a lot and I don't want that. I don't want to break that cycle. And I want my like future kids to, to kind of look up to us, to look up to how hard we worked and like to change my generation wealth and to, and, and to build something out of my life to say one day to my dad, hey, thank you. Thank you for sacrificing. Because I feel like if I don't build anything or if I don't sacrifice and become successful in life, it's just like a slap to my dad's face to say, oh, you know what I mean? He sacrificed so much. So for me not to uh, work hard and not to be able to give back something is just, it won't, it won't feel right. I won't be able to uh, sleep. So okay. that's just like one of my goals. And, uh, and the other thing is too, I want to bring hope. Just like uh, to my people back home, we got MMA is rising back in Afghanistan. It's very under resources, gyms a lot. People don't have a lot of money and stuff like that. And uh, I want to bring hope. Just like C.R. Bahadurzada was the first Afghan and seeing him achieve this big goal, being in Canada, saying yes, I could make it if I go work. So I want to bring hope to the younger generation and uh, 
and and just and and just be a good example to my brothers and sisters. One thing I don't like is being successfully high and then having my brother be like this. Like I want them to achieve. I want them to work hard. And uh, the other thing it is too is is when I when people hear my story and what I've been through and my journey and stuff like that, they're always fascinated of how much I've been through, and uh, they always like my like see my level of striking. It's it's is like they always amazed by uh how how good it is and always like sometimes like if once you once we finish this uh, uh podcast you could definitely look into the gym that i used to train kick fighter to this day i'm still amazed and shocked that i used to train with those guys i used to train with top of the food chain guys like top of the food chain guys like a lot of like i was a, like i'm very grateful of who i trained with how many people who have been around and like to be like to be able to soak all the energy and and I've been training since 2007 until now. So it's been like almost like 14 years deep into martial arts and martial arts changed me. Martial arts brought me confidence. Martial arts brought me like, like you gave me so much things. I, I, I owe it to the sport, man. If there wasn't for the sport, I probably just been like this depressed kid that never thought nothing would have been uh, possible. And like these past recent days that I've, finally live up to my fullest dream i really fight and i really love what i do i've been getting a lot of attention from a lot of management i'm recently uh was hit by mtk mma one of the very uh famous uk uh uh management that manages they're big big in boxing tyson fury and other guys but they got uh uh, darren till and a few other guys under them and we're talking they're reaching out to me they've seen my fights i'm making a buzz like People are slowly starting to remember my name and, and I'm promoting myself. I love the attention, man. When I fight, it's like, it's my moment. I finally get a little 30 seconds, you know, people like, I don't want to say I'm cocky, but I love to put on a show. We're in the entertaining business, right? So it's like, I love that tension. It's addicted. Like I train so hard I sacrifice. So when I get that little 30 second on the mic, I like to make people laugh. I like to put on the show. They, so that way people remember me and like, you know, and you get to know me. Yeah. And stuff like that so i've been getting good attention uh a lot of promoters down here really love me like people down here and i i'm, I'm i have a very good unique story and uh it's, it's been crazy like i things are slowly starting to click in and uh things are like slowly happening better and like i'm getting one percent better and i'm 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 always grateful but i'm never satisfied you know like it's I mean, just that feeling so it's good and like it's crazy man even like I moved down to Pittsburgh four months ago. My aunt got called me two months prior while I stayed in Pittsburgh. Her husband worked for the CIA for the American army for 12 years. And she called me crying about how her, they're coming after her husband. They're coming to kill them because the Taliban just recently took over and she begging me to help. And I was like, I'm a Canadian citizen down here. I'm definitely getting my visa. But then I was wondering, I'm like, how am I going to help her? So I came into conclusion, just calling Red Cross down here. I called Red Cross, uh, got his work papers from the embassy, sent it to them. They got in contact with them in embassy in Afghanistan and they uh, rescued them from Afghanistan. They brought them over to Pittsburgh. Brilliant. Talk yeah. about being life miracle. Like my, like, like, it's just, my life is so crazy. It's like a miracle. Like it's just miracle after miracle. Like I never thought my idea would coming here would benefit someone else's life like my aunt like as refugee so she got rescued now she came into pittsburgh last week on monday 
-hmm. After nine years, I finally met her. I took him over there at the hotel. They're getting a little assistance from the government. She has four kids and her husband. I took him over to Walmart. I bought him clothes, shoes. We went out to uh, grocery stores, bought him some food. Uh, we ate some dinner. I showed him, I introduced him to my friends and uh, took them out. And uh, she finally came to my fight after nine years, dude. Talk about that. It's just like a crazy miracle that's been crazy life. Like, dude, like it's crazy. Like it just makes me wonder, like, what's next? Like, what, like what's God's gonna bring me next? Like, what's God's plan? So it's like it's crazy, man. And then I just feel like I'm getting more positive, seeing more, seeing more bright light under this tunnel that I've been suffering as a kid and uh it's crazy, man. I'm just grateful and uh, I'm excited what life brings. And I know, I know I'm on the right track. Like to make it to the big league is just, it's, it's just a matter of time. You know, it's just a matter of time. I'm surrounded by the right people, by the right uh, environment. And I'm finally found what I love to do. So, you know, I'm just, I'm going to ride it out until the wheels fall off. So let's see how this goes. Listen, uh, what is this? My mind's absolutely blown by just everything that's happened in your life. So the only thing I can do is just wish you the best of luck. As you said yourself, you're surrounded by some amazing coaches there. Uh, as I say, Philip's spoken to about you, sorry, to me a couple of times now. Uh, and it was a real pleasure having you on the podcast. So thank it's, you. It's a pleasure for me too, man. I'm sure I uh, hope to meet you one day in person. And uh, you, I'll tell you more some... Uh, deep stuff that I've been to into life that I don't like to uh, share. And I'm a little like introvert, you know, it, it takes a while for me to kind of crack my shells, shell and then open up to, to someone. But I got some like crazy deep stories, dude, some crazy stuff where it's just like, it's so personal for me to share it. But it's just like, sometimes coming from like a, a culture like mine, where like, it's hard, like, like your Muslim like men have no feelings, you know, this hey, and that. And, and like not being able to learn that you have to vent out. It's like mental health, it's something nice. And I'm slowly starting to med learning how to meditate because my parents didn't graduate. My mom didn't graduate high school. My dad graduated high school, but like they weren't educated. They wasn't taught like, hey, read more books or meditate or do this or learn life, like learn how to save money. So it's like I'm finally learning. And maturing in life and uh it's 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 tough and it's it's very hard for me to sometimes to understand that I'm 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 a little different than this average like than an average person so it's like it's sometimes different for me to to adjust to something or to like learn or you know it's like it's hard but that, 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 that'll, to that'll that'll come with maturity as well. You're still mm -hmm. a young man. Uh, yeah man. As you get a wee bit more mature, you'll get a wee bit more emotionally mature, and then things you'll be able to process things a wee bit better. But, uh, but listen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. So thank you, man. Appreciate and, it. There was, there was another, definitely another shout out to. Sorry, I lost you there again, but I was just going no to worries. say another shout out to to Philip Amiris Jr. for for hooking this conversation up. Uh, yeah, man, I'm uh, very happy to. Be working with Phil, uh, he's been a, a, a huge uh, help for me down here for this fight camp, and uh, I love picking his brain. We've been training a lot, and uh, he's been helping me a lot with this fight camp. And uh, it's 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 great to see how much uh, amazing people I have that uh, around surround uh, like around me that support me and uh, like support me and always 
always there for me. So it's, it's very, uh, it's very, it's very, I'm very grateful. Like, cause back I used to, I suffered a lot that when I see personally someone else suffer, like in the gym, outside the gym, it gives yeah. me PTSD. I never like to see someone suffer or cry. It's just like I automatically try to offer help. And with Phil, it's like, same thing. Like he always checks up on me, calls yeah. me after this fight. I got a little banged up. So he's like checking on me, calling me and telling me we got to do this. So I'm very grateful to have him and thank you for having me. And, uh, this is my first time having being on a podcast and sharing my story. So I'm sure uh, down the road a couple of years ago, when I make it to the big leagues, we're going to look back at this and yep. definitely, you know, this thing's going to hit a couple of million views, man, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Have a brilliant day. And again, listen, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right. Man. It was Take a pleasure, care. man. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye.